Archbishop Vigano was recently asked about the pre-55 Holy Week. Uh, beginning in 1951, there was a provisional reform of the Holy Week liturgies, which started with Palm Sunday all the way through Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. Very controversial. Made official 1955, went into effect uh, the Easter after that. And then that eventually led to more changes by Archbishop Bunini, the reform, the change of all seven sacraments, including the sacrifice of the Mass in 1969-1970 by Bugnini under Paul VI. In the answer by Archbishop Vigano, he explicitly states that he believes the Novus Ordo Mass should be abolished and prohibited and the traditional Latin Mass should be declared the only Roman rite in force. Wow, that's a big claim, a big statement, and that's what we're going to cover today. I am going to briefly talk about the pre-55 Holy Week. I know we're past Holy Week. We're already deep into Paschal Tide coming up on Pentecost. Um, but I also want to focus on this idea, should the Novus Ordo be abolished? You'll remember that not too long ago, I did an interview with Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and I asked him a similar question and he gave a, an answer I'll call the rollout method, where he said, you know, what we what we should do, a future pope, he should um, put back in the Tridentine Offertory, go back to the Roman Rite, uh, make sure that the Kyrie is done in Greek, the Gloria is in Latin, the Roman Canon is in Latin, Agnus Dei, uh, Ad Orientum, Altar Rails, Communion of Tongue, and then step by step by step, move everything back to essentially be the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, that was the answer by Arch, uh, by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Archbishop Vigano goes for the abolish and prohibit. Now, I don't have Archbishop Vigano here. Would he also do something pastorally transitional, or would it just be a abolishment? We're going to look at what Archbishop Vigano says uh, today, and uh, I'll discuss whether I agree with Archbishop Vigano. Should we just abolish it? All right, before we do, we're going to pray the Our Father in Latin. Oremus nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos malo. Amen. Amen. All right, to understand the background of this debate, we have to talk about the liturgical movement, um, which you could say started in the late 1800s. Uh, but really, by the 1930s and 40s, you have many scholars doing their own research, looking at manuscripts, texts, Eastern liturgies, trying to understand what was Christianity like before Constantine. Constantine, you know, uh, there was the Edict in 313, the Council of Nicaea in 325, of course, um, St. Helena going to the, his mother going to the Holy Land, constructing the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Anastasia, 
all these things were going on in, in Christianity. The Catholic Church became mainstream. Um, the bishops went from being murdered, martyred, thrown to the beast, decapitated, to suddenly dining with the emperor, dining with the, the governors of the Roman Empire in places of great privilege. And so there has been, in Protestantism, in the Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, always this fascination with the pure Christianity, the original pre-Constantinian Christianity. Now, Catholicism, traditionally, has never thought that way. In fact, reading the book of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, uh, reading the prophecies of Daniel, we have seen that there was a prophecy in the Old Testament of the four pagan kingdoms. The fourth was the most vicious beast, the kingdom of iron and clay, described by Daniel. I describe all this in my book, Eternal City, if you want to get the, the full Catholic theology on why we are Roman Catholic and why we believe the Catholic Church assumed and took up the Roman Empire and why the Pope is in Rome, you can get the book, The Eternal City, Rome and the Origins of Catholic Christianity. It's a theology. It's not just a historical accident. God designed it that way. We Catholics believe that when Constantine legalized Christianity and when Theodosius put Christian laws into place in the Roman Empire, this was Christ the King riding out on his white horse, triumphant, and taking the kingdoms of the world away from Satan and into the kingdom of God, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which is on high. This is Catholic theology. That's why when you go to uh, Rome, the cathedral of Rome is not actually the Vatican. A lot of people don't know that. The cathedral is St. John Lateran, literally the church of, of Christ, the Savior. It's called St. John Lateran because it has a baptistry dedicated to John the Baptist. In that baptistry, you'll see images of the conversion of Constantine. If you go to St. Peter's, you'll also see monuments to the conversion of Constantine, of Charlemagne. When you come in on that porch, look left, look right, you'll see that right there. So this is part of our victory in the church as seeing kings come and genuflect before the crucifix and say, I submit my kingship and my life to Jesus Christ so that governments submit to Christ the King. At Vatican II, the idea of government submitting to Christ the King was, what's the right word to use here, my friends? Obscured. I'll use the word obscured. You can use other words. The idea, the calling of the Pope in the Church of Rome to say, Poland, be a Catholic nation. Ireland, be a Catholic nation. England, once again, become a Catholic nation. France, beloved daughter of the Church, be a Catholic nation. Spain, Portugal, Italy, Austria, Hungary. The Philippines, be Catholic nations. That call, we could even say that requirement for persons like you and me with our hearts 
but also our nations to submit to Christ the King. That was always asked for by the church. That governments would be submitted to Christ. In the 1960s at Vatican II, that was obscured. Some would say it was done away with. And with that thinking comes, you know, that whole idea of, of Christianity becoming imperial and triumphant and outward and, and dignified and courtly. and All that's bad. What we want to do is we want to go back into the catacombs and we want to worship like catacomb Christians. So what does liturgy look like before Constantine? The liturgical movement sought to do this. And of course, they all believed that it would have been sort of like being a hippie. You know, we're all around a table and it's groovy and the priest is facing us and he's wearing not ceremonial robes. He's kind of chill and he's got some Birkenstocks on. And, you know, we've got women all around the table, wooden table, and we got big loaves of bread with the crumbs and big jugs of wine that we're pouring into big cups. And it's just sort of like a big potluck dinner. That's the Eucharist in the early church. You know, people down in catacombs having a, a hippie party. And they wanted to reform the liturgy to have vernacular, vernacular to be conforming to the local culture local language, local customs, not Roman, not imperial. I mean, the reason we use Latin is because Latin was on the cross of Jesus Christ when he died above his head. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Hebrew, Greek, Latin. It's an imperial decree posted, nailed onto the cross of our salvation. Remember, he was crucified under a Roman governor on a Roman cross probably the decree latin roman so this whole idea of a pre-roman pre-constantinian liturgy became very popular in the 40s and 50s in the 1960s well beginning in the 1950s they said well let's reform holy week so Annabelle Bugnini, Pius XII, 1951 and 1955, rewrote the ancient Holy Week. And if you watch my podcast, you know I'm 110% against that move in 1951 and 1955. You don't mess with Holy Week. You don't mess with Good Friday, Maundy Thursday. And what are the things that they did? Well, they removed uh, blessings and prayers. For example, they moved, removed many blessings on the palms on Palm Sunday. And then they did things to the liturgy to make lay people have more involvement. So some examples on Maundy Thursday, they moved the, the right of the bishop washing the feet of 13 men, poor priests, the rubric say, to just, you know, laymen up in front of the church, having their feet washed in the liturgy by a priest. That was not done before. 1951 and 1955. You'll see that in the 1962 books. Good Friday, they had all the people come and receive communion. That was not traditional. 
That's not how it was done. Holy Saturday, they went from 12 Old Testament readings to four Old Testament readings because lay people get tired of readings. They want the lay people there. And then they had in the middle of the litany, at the after the blessing of the font, the people in vernacular reaffirmed their baptismal vows, which was never done before. So when you read the new Holy Week compared to the old Holy Week, they're just peppering it with lay participation, getting the lay people into doing stuff during the rites. So Archbishop Vigano was asked, what do you think, Archbishop Vigano? Should we go back to the pre-55 Holy Week or should we do the 1962 Holy Week, which was, which is what Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre did? And of course, we know Vigano doesn't want to do the Novus Ordo. So what should we be doing? Pre-55 or 1962? Here's what Archbishop Vigano says. This is actually a provocation, first of all, because I do not agree with the coexistence of two forms of the same rite in the Church of the Roman Rite. Secondly, because I consider the reform, Reformed Rite to be gravely lacking and certainly favens heresy, joining myself, that right there, favoring heresy in Latin, joining myself to the denunciation of Cardinals Ottaviani and Bacchi, as well as that of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, and I am convinced that the Novus Ordo should simply be abolished and prohibited. And the traditional right should be declared the only Roman right in force. It is only from this point of view that I believe that it is possible to canonically challenge the Order of Holy Week, uh, the Reformed Order of Holy Week, if we wish to be meticulous. The motu proprio rubicarum instructum as well, above all, because of the consistency of their tone with the Novus Ordo and their obvious rupture with the tone of the preceding Missali Romanum. So, Archbishop Vigano is saying, look, we need to go back to the pre-55 Holy Week. That's the original Roman Rite for over a thousand years, if not more. Unchanged. Why mess with it? If it wasn't broke, don't fix it. And then Archbishop Vigano throws a little grenade in there while he's talking. He says, and by the way, the Novus Ordo should simply be abolished and prohibited. Now, before I tell you whether I agree or disagree, he then goes on to talk about Archbishop Lefebvre and the Society of St. Pius X. He says, I believe that the Society of St. Pius X considers it legitimate to refer to the Missal of John the 23rd, that is 1962, because it recognizes the same malicious mind and all the subsequent reforms that led to the Missal of Paul VI. Then, for the same reason, mainly a prudential nature, it could apply the same principle to the reform of Holy Week, even if in itself, because the Missal of John the Twenty-Third, there is nothing heterodox or even remotely inclined towards heresy. What is Archbishop Vigano saying here? Look, the SSPX does the 1962. The Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King does 62 and pre-55. But generally, from what I, my understanding of talking to people in the SSPX, they only do the 1962. Why? Because Archbishop Lefebvre did the 1962. They are following the tradition of Archbishop Lefebvre, so they're doing the 1962. But Archbishop Vigano says, well, look, we're agreeing that there's nothing heterodox. There's nothing heretical in the 1962 Holy Week. But we can also agree that it's not the Roman Holy Week. 
It was invented. In fact, you can't even go to any early manuscripts and say, oh, say here is where it used to be this. So let's go back to that. No, this was Bugnini and a bunch of other scholars saying this is what we think it would be cool to be. And that way of thinking led to the Novus Ordo. So why can't, he's saying, the SSPX say, look, on that same principle, we're not saying that it's the 62 is heretical, but the fact that you're monkeying around with the liturgy from 1951 and 1962, there are rubrical differences in 60, 61, 62. Let's just get rid of that as well. Let's just be consistent. Let's kind of go quo primum here and say, look, the Missal and the Holy Week, the Mass in its rubrics, the seven sacraments, the lectionary, and the Holy Week, let's keep it all intact. And me personally, I believe this is the future of the traditional Catholic movement. Trying to piece it together in 1962 long term is not going to work. How do we know that? Just this past week, Pope Francis justified current liturgical changes, the liturgical changes of Pius VI by saying, well, these trads, they were complaining even under Pius Twelfth on Holy Week. Even under Pius Twelfth, these rigid people were not even happy then. They were complaining about the time of the Holy Saturday Vigil. They were complaining about the Eucharistic fast being shortened. These people are never happy. So even Francis who was 100% opposed to Vigano on this issue, he's, saying, he's actually using Pius XII to justify the changes under Paul VI and any future changes. Because once you say, hey, let's just make the Roman Rite kind of how we want it to be this decade, I mean, the barn door's open. The animals are out. You're not going to have consistency over time. So Vigano saying, why can't the SSPX and all trads, SSPX is, has the most priests, so I think that's why he's talking about it. Why can't we just say, okay, there's nothing heretical in the 62, but it is designed by Annabal Bugnini, and it does change the historic, traditional Roman rite. It changes it for no reason other than that we kind of think that it is more like the early church. If you want to be let in on a little secret, if you really want to go back to the early church pre-Constantine, there was no Good Friday liturgy or Holy Saturday liturgy. Put that in your thurible and smoke it. The arrival of the Good Friday liturgy and the Holy Saturday liturgy and the Triduum and all that actually happens in the post-Constantinian era. So you can't say, I want the pre-Constantinian of the post-Constantinian development. That doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Okay, so let me tell you my opinion on it. I'm just a dad on this webcam. I don't wear a red Beretta. I'm not a cardinal. I don't wear a mitre. I'm not a bishop. I'm just a dude talking on the internet. Should the Novus Ordo be abolished and prohibited? My belief, yes. Absolutely. 
I agree with Archbishop Vigano. We have seen 50 years of liturgical abuse. I don't need to put them on the screen. You've seen me put them on the screen. Balloons, clowns, churches in the round, Eucharistic abuses, chalices dropped, hosts spilled on the floor, tabernacles in different rooms. Those are all accidental features of the Novus Ordo. But if we look at the essence of the Novus Ordo, the rubrics, the fact that there are four Eucharistic prayers that the priest gets to choose from, choose from, the penitential rite is fluid. And then there's right in the middle of it, prayers of the people, which is so dangerous because any strange idea can be concocted and put into the prayers of the people that everyone is supposed to echo that no one has approved. Maybe the, maybe the priest, but even still, that the entire mass can be remixed like a DJ every single Sunday, every single day is a major problem. And that idea that the liturgy is many moving pieces that the priest and the community are constantly changing and moving. What does that tell the people over the decades? What does it tell them? It tells them that we are in control of Catholicism. Lex orandi, lex credendi. If I can change the laws of prayer, if I can change the laws of liturgy and the shape of liturgy, I can change the laws of morality. I can change the shape of dogma. I can develop my own theology. We can change what it means to be man and woman, and we can change what it means to be married, and we can change the meaning of sin, and we can change the meaning of contraception, and we can change the meaning of life. You see where I'm going with this? Catholicism is a unit. It's a consistent thing. This is why I was an Episcopalian cleric, an Anglican priest, and I became a Catholic layman because as a Protestant minister, I could see that there was no consistency. There's nothing holding it together. There's no hub. Catholicism claims and says that there is a magisterium. There is apostolic succession. There is a papacy running from Peter down to our day. There is authority. But since the 1950s, we've had popes and cardinals and bishops basically trying to wreck that vision and saying, no, we're, we're totally cool now in the 60s. Like we are in the age of Aquarius and we got felt vestments on and we got felt banners and we put the tabernacle in another room and we brought the altars out and we're now singing Protestant hymns. And we even invited Protestants to help rewrite our liturgies. And we've got guitars and we've got kumbaya. We are 
with the times, groovy, and in all the other nations. You know, in Africa, we took away all their Gregorian chant hymnals and we gave them a bunch of bongos because that's what they like. And in Asia, we did this. It's just complete madness. Instead of having the vision of the prophet Daniel, where he sees the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of Christ, centered on the fourth kingdom, the ferocious beast of Rome, destroyed and reconstituted by Christ as the mother and teacher of all the nations, the seat of the papacy. Instead of that vision going out into the world where all roads lead to Rome and lead back out with sanctifying grace, dogma, moral teaching, now it's just all moving around. And we all know it. You can't really argue with me on this point. Well, yeah, Taylor, I mean, the culture in the 1960s was a little bit, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, we're the church, okay? The Catholic Church. She has been through catacombs, 10 Roman persecutions. She has had dogmatic crises with Arianism, Nestorianism, the mono the monophysite, the monothelite, the iconoclastic, the Protestant Reformation, the French Revolution. She has had crises in different cultures and lands and languages and all over the world. She stayed firm on her liturgy, her prayers, her devotions, her piety, and most important of all, her dogma. Things don't feel that way right now. They don't look that way. And unfortunately, for people who actually say something like I just said, that's super controversial. Those people need to be canceled. They're rigid. They're bad. Well, guess what? We're not going anywhere. In fact, by the power of the Holy Ghost and his strength, it's growing. More people are tired of getting watered down Catholicism. We want the real deal. So I agree with Archbishop Vigano. That being said, I think there is some pastoral wisdom in what Bishop Athanasius Schneider said when he was on this podcast a couple months ago. Many priests don't even know Latin, even though they're supposed to, according to canon law. They've never even seen a traditional Latin Mass. Many of the men being ordained today weren't even alive before 1970. Zero experience. So there would have to be some kind of provision. It can't just be, you know, this Sunday there's Novus Ordo, and then the next Sunday we have the 1945 Missal on the altar and get after it. There would have to be some kind of catechesis, some kind of a return. And I don't know, I don't, I'm not the man who has the prudence or the wisdom in order to set forth that plan. I think the kind of things that Bishop Schneider were saying were actually pretty good. But there would have to be some date in saying, look, we are all moving into conformity with this missile by this date. This is what the Catholic Church is doing. Yeah, but Taylor, that's so not pastoral. Look at what they did in 1970. They shoved the Novus Ordo missile down everyone's throat. 
There was nothing pastoral about it. People were coming into their churches. Their family had donated that statue, that altar rail, that altar, that tabernacle, and they were ripped out and put in a closet, put in a classroom. There was nothing pastoral at all in what happened in 1970. I'm not saying two rights therefore make a wrong, so don't be pastoral. I'm saying do do be pastoral. Do help people make the transition. But I don't want to hear any Jesuits saying, yeah, but Taylor, I mean, it's not very pastoral. No. Look at what y'all did. Look at what y'all have done to people for the past 50 years. It's a trail of tears. It's a trail of tears. So there's Archbishop Vigano. Interesting that we have a bishop at this time saying those words. And I also honestly like the challenge. I like the challenge that Archbishop Vigano makes to the Society of St. Pius X. Let's get back to the Roman Rite. The 1962 Holy Week, okay, it's not heretical, but since when was that our standard? Let's actually do the Roman Rite. Let's do Holy Week, how Pius X did it, how the little flower attended it, how Pius IX attended it, how Pius V attended it, how St. Philip Neri attended it, Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure, St. Bernard. Let's do that Holy Week. Because that's the argument that we always make about the Mass. We're doing the Mass of Pius X and Thomas Aquinas and St. Bernard. Okay, let's do the Holy Week. Let's do the Holy Week the way they did it. And I think traditionalists and I think the traditional movement it's only been growing, the pre-55 movement. It's only been growing. I know it's controversial. I know some people get scared about it. But look, it's the Roman right. It is our patrimony. It is our inheritance. And let's make a claim on our inheritance. It is a gift, but it is also a right. Let us accept the gift and the right in the form of the traditional Roman right. I'd encourage you to read the rest of the statement by Archbishop Vigano. I recommend going to Catholic Family News, catholicfamilynews.com. And that's where you'll find all kinds of great articles. But they've put up the entire text of, it's called Reform or, or Overture to Liturgical Revolution, Archbishop Vigano on the Holy Week ceremonies. And it'll take you eight minutes to read it. It's very short. Let's see, do I want to read the ending here? No, I think you should just go read it. It's very good. All right, well, thank you, Archbishop Vigano, for saying this, getting the conversation started. And uh, what do you think? Should the Novus Ordo be abolished? Leave a comment below. Let me know. I will be in there, and I'll read your comments and engage with you. Should the Novus Ordo be abolished? And then secondly, another question that I'd like for us to discuss in the comments is, how should that be done? Is it a one-year timeline? Six-month timeline? Are there goals that go along the way, like Bishop Athanasius Schneider said? Or is it just flip the switch next Sunday, pre-55 everything? Leave a comment. Let me know. Um, if you like this video, please give it a thumbs up and like it. I appreciate you. And then please go and click the share button 
and share this video on Facebook or Twitter. And if you're new, please do me the honor and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and then hit the bell. The bell is your notification. And every time I go live, you will be notified and you'll get uh, access to watch these videos. It's great. So thanks for watching. Also, thanks to everyone who supports this channel on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall and you can be a generous patron of this channel. To thank you, I'll send you signed books. There's all kinds of different gifts and thank you things at different support levels. So to learn more about those, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. Also, make sure you're praying the rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary every day, you're not on the team. And that's the team of obeying Our Lady's instruction. Thanks for watching. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.